0: Good to see you this morning. Whether you're Cubs or Cardinals fan, it really doesn't matter to me. <laughs> as long as you're a fan of Jesus Christ. Because that really is the only thing that matters. I was uh, last, uh, this morning, early, I kind of ruined, you know how you ruin stuff for yourself? So if, if, if you like golf and you're going to watch the President's Cup today, just close your ears. Uh, but uh, found out it's already happened. It's in Korea. And uh, one of the things that kind of kind of puts things in perspective is that ended up, by the way, the Americans did win. Uh, they, they won 15 and a half to 14 and a half. It was as close as you can get. came down to the last match. And the cool thing was is that uh, Jay Haas, who's one of, his, the, one of the main coaches, I guess the coach for the American team director, he, he, uh, one, of the, one of the people he brought on the team was his son, Bill Haas, who happens to be one of the best golfers in the world. And, uh, and Bill was on the very last match, and he won his match and he got emotional and then bill said something though that's amazing to me in perspective he said you know he said i'm sorry for being emotional it's just golf you know why bill said that because bill is a strong strong christian somebody who has perspective on life and understands that sports are just sports and life is more than just winning the president's cup even though that was pretty cool you know so uh Let's keep in perspective what, what we're doing today because we're in a process in a, in a series called Trans, transformed uh, we've been talking about how god wants to transform us in all kind of ways and we talked about spiritually god wants to transform us uh, physically he wants to transform our lives uh, we talked about mentally a couple, about two, couple two or three weeks ago and then last week emotionally today we're looking at relational health relational health and we have two more weeks after this week Then we'll talk about some other areas, how God wants to transform us in our financial health, and also also how he wants to transform us and understand that our jobs are important too in regard to how we approach them, in regard to God wants to transform us in all these areas. He's not just interested in us spiritually, even though it all fits together in a real sense. And so this week, uh, as we talk about transforming our relationships, we're going to go all the way back in the Bible to the very beginning, to Genesis And we're going to look at a passage in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles in whatever format, you might want to turn there. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3, a very familiar passage that deals with the whole thing of um, relationships. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 19. It's really that it talks about the very first relationship where all the problems started. We can blame Adam and Eve for everything, right? Because that's what we like to do. Because, you know, we'd have made different choices than they would. Yeah. No, we wouldn't probably. But let, let me just go ahead and read that. And then we want to talk about it today. I want to talk about three reasons, three fears that we have that cause us to really that causes us problems in relationships. And I want to talk about three solutions that scripture has as well. And they all come out of Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three, verses six through nineteen. So Eve ate some of the fruit. Then she also gave some to her husband Adam, who was with her, and he ate it. Immediately their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover up themselves. Then they heard the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from God among the trees. But God called out to Adam, where are you? Adam replied, I heard you coming, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then God asked, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Adam said, you gave me this woman, and she gave me the fruit, so I ate it. We'll talk about that one later. (laughs) Then God said to Eve, why did you do this? Then Eve replied, not any better off, the serpent deceived me. So that's why I ate it. So God said to Eve, because you disobeyed me, you'll have greater trouble in pregnancy and great pain in childbirth. And though though you desire your husband, he's going to lord it over you. Then God said to Adam, because you also disobeyed me, and send with your wife, the ground you work is now cursed. And though you'll get to eat what you planted, your fields will have weeds and thorns and thistles. And for the rest of your life, you'll have to sweat and work hard to get your food until you, you yourself are returned to the dirt that I used to create you. Now, this has so many, I mean, this, this passage has so many spiritual truths in it, like massive things. But I just want to focus on three things that it talks about in regard to relationships. Because it really deals with the same three things that we all have problems with in relationships as well. And God wants to transform our relationships. And we want to not just talk about what the problem is, but what the solution is today. So I want to first talk about the problem. And we see it here in this passage of Scripture. There are three basic fears that ruin relationships. Three basic fears that all of us have. Okay? Me included. All of us have these these fears. The first one we see is this. My fear of exposure makes me distant. My fear of exposure makes me distant. One of the things that we often talk about in relationships is we want to have intimacy, right? We want to have intimacy with our spouse. We want to have close friends. We want to have people that uh, that we're close to. But the fear of exposure makes me distant. The truth is, the problem is for most of us, and I, I would say for all of us, there's a lot of things about ourselves that we don't like. And because we don't like them, and since we don't accept ourselves as we are, so often we don't want to see want others to see those things that we don't want to hold. Uh, that, that Because if they see us as we really are, they might reject us. And so we have this fear of exposure, this fear of people really knowing us deep down, and so we hold back things from us, even from our spouses. And so often the thing is, is we have to understand that 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 is a that is not a fear that's healthy it said it in in Genesis 3 there it says in verses 9 and 10 it says God called to Adam why are you hiding and Adam said the reason I'm hiding is because I was afraid because I was naked so I hid now let me ask you a question when God asked him why he was hiding do you think that God already knew the answer my God knew the answer before he he even said it so why did he ask the question well, the reason is this. Anytime God asks ask us a question, the reason is because he, he knows the answer, but he wants you to admit it, to own up to the, to the answer, to bring it out in the open, to expose the, the problem that's there. Notice he said a couple of things there. He said, uh, Adam said, I was afraid. And he said, I hid. See, fear always causes us to hide. Uh, So the question today for all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, is what are you hiding from? What are you not? You're holding back because of fear. If you expose that part of your life, those thoughts you have, those 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 behaviors that you may have as well, you know, would people like me? See, with fear, God never asks us to hide it. He always asks us to face it, and that's why He asked the question to to Adam, Why are you hiding? Another word he uses in here is the word naked. Now, we think we know what the word naked means, right? Without clothes. But it's more than that here. Uh, the Hebrew word here basically has a deeper meaning. It means that it's not just physical nakedness, but it's emotional nakedness as well as he's talking about here. He says, I was naked. And I'm not sure that, that Adam knew all the ramifications of what he was talking about, but basically the word means it means I was exposed, I was uncovered, I'm vulnerable Uh, I was unprotected it's a scary place to be that people see you as you are one of the deepest fears that we often have is this of being seen for what we really are and so we have this fear and so it causes us to not have the kind of relationships that God wants us to have that he wants us to have and that we want to have as well now notice the damage in this relationship I just want to talk about this a little bit longer notice the damage fear does to relationships and it happens in three stages in this passage of scripture go back to verse 7 it says this the first, the first thing that happens and how it damages relationships uh, is this it brings about shame. Verse 7a, seven, seven this says Adam, Adam and Eve, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. See, fear is often based in shame. And how do you know if you, if you have shame? You're easily embarrassed. You're easily embarrassed. The the thing about it is shame makes you more self-conscious, not less. Uh, It makes you nervous. It makes you fearful of humiliation. And so one of the first things that happens to us is when we we have this fear in our life, the damage that fear does to our relationships, it causes us to have shame. Secondly, phase two is is what I'd call the cover-up. We try to conceal our true selves. In 7b, it says, so they, they were naked and they had shame, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up. And I don't know about you guys, that doesn't seem like a very good solution to the problem. It'd take a lot of fig leaves to cover my whole body, okay? I don't know about you guys, you know, just, just be honest. But, you know, that's, that's kind of a solution. But they didn't know that's all they had. That's all they had, okay? But the, the thing is, it, they tried to not only did to have shame, but they, they tried to cover up the shame. Now, today we have more sophisticated ways of doing that, Right? of not letting people know who we are but but we still try to do it what ways do you try to cover up your fears the things that you're you might have shame about sometimes we use humor some people you know they're never it's they're they're always the life of the party because they're always you know telling jokes and they're always and they do it so they don't have to let people know who they really are that happens many times sometimes it happens by people just presenting an image of being all together You know, if I look good and I wear the right clothes and I have the right house and, you know, and my kids look good even though they're chaotic most of the time, uh, you know, and and, and my relationship it looks good on the outside, you know, we do this cover-up thing uh, in our relationships. See, a lot of people, and in our world today, we have this new process that we do it well. People present this online image of themselves. Have you ever read somebody's online image of themselves, what they say about themselves online on, a Facebook, on their Facebook post, and you're going like, is that really the same person that I know? You know, I mean, is that the studly guy that, you know, that everybody wants to date, and you know, Really? See, we can lie to ourselves, we try to cover, we, and now we have a sophisticated way of throwing it out to everybody, this, this, this image, and so the problem is, is that we do this cover-up, and that's the second thing that happens, that's the suffoc- second ramification uh, of fear and what it does to us as well. The third thing it does, it, in, in phase three, it causes us to have distance from God, distance from God, in verse eight it says, they hid, then they hid from God among the trees, Um. Not only does fear cause us to be disconnected from people, it causes us to be disconnected from God. And so the problem that we have so often, God, see, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He expects honesty. And so often we have this, the fear causes us all kind of problems. It causes us, first of all, the fear causes us, uh, my fear of exposure causes me to be distant. That's the, that's the first fear that we deal with. The, then the second fear is just as bad, but I'm not going to spend as much time on it. Is this my fear of disapproval makes me defensive? My fear of disapproval makes me defensive. So often, when we're, we're fearful as people, we st- we stop simply excusing, and start accusing. We start blaming, attacking, pointing fingers. But you did that. We try to divert the attention from ourselves. The more, let me just say it this way: the more critical a person is the more they fear disapproval critical people are people who have terrible self-images and because and the reason they do is they fear so many things they fear that people would be they would get to know them so if you know somebody that's always critical all the time it's not because you know don't you love people that are critical all the time that no, no matter what you do, they can always have something negative to say. See, the fact is, the more I fear disapproval, the more I'll point out others' problems. And so we see this here in the very first relationship. Said so we come back to this. Genesis 3.12, it says, God asked, did you eat what I told you not to eat? And Adam says, sure I did. No, that's not what he said. He said, you gave me. He, first of all, he blames God. Okay, did you think about that he blames God for the problem. God, you gave me this woman. Now when he first I didn't go into the whole thing when he first I'm sure when he first saw this naked woman he's going, "Whoa." That was the first thing. I'm sure he didn't go like, "Man, God, take her away. Take her away." No, he never seen anything like this before, you know? It's kind of like, you know, I was <laughs> One guy said, you know, God made man, and then he you know, went through this whole process, and God realized that all the animals had, had, uh, had partners and stuff, but man didn't, so he said he decided to do something better, and he made woman, and all the women liked that. And, uh, but the reality is, is, I'm sure that when he first God first gave Eve to Adam, he didn't go, like, take her away. But in he, here, though, because of God catches him doing something wrong, Adam says, you gave me this woman... And then he says, and she gave me the fruit. So God, it's not my problem. It's not my fault. It's your fault and it's her fault. He took it like a man and blamed everybody else. <laughs> but women, don't get cocky. Because Eve didn't do any better. Because in, the ver- in verse 13 it says, then Eve said, the snake tricked me into eating i'm going like really what a lame excuse a snake which is the serpent which is satan in disguise i know he tricked me into doing it so she blames she wasn't take, doesn't take responsibility for her own actions as well see their fear of disapproval of di- being disapproval makes me defensive it pushes makes me push back against things. the hint of disapproval makes me defensive in our life and that's one of the things that causes us to have problems in relationships it's this fear there's a third fear we have though as well. And the third fear is this one. My fear of losing control makes me demanding. My fear of losing control makes me demanding. The result of sin was what? Of them eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What what was the result? They lost the perfect relationship they had in the garden. They lost control over their future. They got kicked out of paradise. They lost their advantage. They lost everything. See, it's kind of this way the more out of control you feel, the more controlling you become. The more insecure you are, the greater your need to get your way. You know, I didn't understand this for a long time because it always drove me crazy. People that laugh to have to always have their way. And it just made me angry. And then I started realizing that the reason they won't always have their way is because they're so insecure, the only way they can feel like they can function in life is to have their way all the time because they're not secure enough to let you have your way. Because it makes me feel like I'm losing control of life. And, 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 uh, and Scripture says it this way in verse 16. It says, you'll have yearning, talking to, uh, God talking to, to Eve, you'll have yearning for your husband, meaning that you'll have this relation, this desire to have a relationship with your husband. But it says he will lord it over you it'll mess up the relationship it's not what it described see this is where the war between the sexes began all the way back in the very first relationship all the misunderstanding all the confusion all the conflict started with this with sin and this whole thing of fearing of losing control and what fear of losing control does it makes me demanding. So that's the three fears that we have that comes out of this verse. Three things that started all the way back in Genesis. But let me say, the good news is that there's a solution for it. It's in Scripture. The solution is this, the antidote. What's The, the, the problem is fear, but the antidote is this, love. We need to learn to live in God's love because it's the Bible says it this way in 1 John 4, 18. Wherever God's love is, there is no fear. See the problem we have in relationships is fear. Fear of disapproval, fear of losing control, all these things. But it says wherever God's love is there is no fear because God's perfect love drives out all fear. The opposite of fear is not faith. The opposite of fear is love. And so the thing we have to understand is that if we wanted to If we want to have the kind of relationships that God wants us to have, we have to learn and we have to live in God's love. The second part of verse 1 John 4, verse 18b says it this way. It says, It is the thought of punishment or negative consequences that makes a person fearful. Uh, you know, it's the, it's the thing that we so often do, we, we're afraid to share who we are, and so it makes us fearful, and so we fear the consequences of that, the, the negative consequences, that afraid, afraid to tell the truth, afraid to uh, be yourself, because people might not like you, and so we have all these negative consequences that makes a person fearful. But it says, wherever God's love is, there is no fear, because God's perfect love drives out fear. So the question I want to talk about for the last few minutes is this, how do I learn to live in God's love? If that's the antidote, if that's the solution to our problem of relational chaos, how do I learn to live in God's love? Let me give you three things, and these aren't like the most profound things you've ever heard, but they're they're the basic things that we need to do. Number one, every day I need to surrender my heart to God. Every day I need to surrender my heart to God. See, it said what? God is love. The closer I get to God the more loving I'll be. The further from God I am and the further distance I have from God, the more fearful I will be. Does that make sense? It's a very basic thing of Scripture. And I love this verse. Let me tell you, this is a verse... This is kind of a long verse out of Job 11, but this is a verse that you probably should memorize. And I could have done, I thought about doing a whole sermon just on this verse because it says so much. But let me just tell you what it says here. It talks about everyday surrendering your heart to God. It says this in Job chapter 11, verse 13 through 18 Surrender your heart to God, turn to Him in prayer, and give up your sins, even those you do in secret. Then you won't be ashamed, you will be confident and fearless your troubles will go away like water beneath a bridge and your darkest night will be brighter than noon. Then you'll rest safe and secure, filled with hope and emptied of worry. How many would like to have that? The rest of you not either not paying attention or you're like, duh, you know. I mean, that is like everything we'd want in life, right? I mean, does that sound like, I mean, take let me take the verse apart real quickly. I don't have time to do a whole sermon on it, but it says there's three commands and eight promises in this verse. The three commands are this. Surrender your heart to God. Turn to Him. Turn to Him in prayer. Pray to Him. Give up your sins. It's called confession. Even those you do in secret. Then it tells us, okay, if we do those three, those th- those promises, these are the premises. These are the things that will happen in our life. Then, first first uh, promise, you won't be ashamed. Sound pretty good. You will be confident. You will be fearless. Your troubles will go away like water beneath a bridge. Your darkest night will be brighter than noon. It means the darkest night is going to not be as dark as it seems to be. Then you'll rest safe. You'll be, you'll have good sleep and you'll feel secure You'll be filled with hope and emptied of worry. Eight promises there in Scripture. And that's all because we surrender our, 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 our heart to God. That's the first thing of living in God's love. Number two, if we're going to live in God's love, number two, got every day you've got to remember the way God loves you, the way God loves me. I have to remind myself every day what God thinks about me. Let me give you four things that I, that I know the Bible says clearly that God thinks about you, every one of you, regardless of where you are in your relationship with God, okay? Because God doesn't love you more because you do certain things for him. He loved you because he created all things. So this is what the Bible says how God loves me. Number one, he says, I'm completely accepted. I'm completely accepted. The deepest wounds that we have are what? Wounds of rejection. So much of our life we spend trying to earn acceptance from parents, from peers, from those we respect, from from those we envy. We even want people that are strangers to like us. We live with with this myth, and the myth is this. The myth is, if I could be perfect... That everyone would like me. Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus perfect? The answer is yes, by the way, in Scripture. Did everybody like Jesus? The answer is no. It says he was rejected, despised by the religious community. So... Even if you're perfect, people are not going to like you. That's that's you know. But the good news is this: you don't have to have everybody's approval to be happy. the The Bible decides the issue this way, where it says in Titus three seven, Jesus made us acceptable to God. Jesus made us acceptable to God, not by what we did, but by what He did upon a cross. So number one, I'm completely accepted. That's the first thing that God need to remember about the way God loves me. Number two, I'm unconditionally loved. I'm unconditionally loved. There's two characteristics of God's love that's that's obvious in Scripture above all else. Number one, it's consistent. God's love is consistent. It's not fickle. It's not unpredictable. God's love is consistent. It never changes. Parents, this is the one little piece for you today. Number one is this, inconsistent parents raise insecure children inconsistent parents raise insecure children if you want your children to be secure be consistent in the way you treat them don't say if you do this I'm gonna do this and then you don't do it never say that do what you say it doesn't they don't expect your kids don't expect perfection they live around you they know better but they do expect and really demand consistency So that's the thing is, God's love is consistent. It's also, it's unconditional. It's not I love you if, because it's, you you never have to ask this question, will God love me today? Because, you know, did I pray enough today so God will love me more? Did I do this today so God, no, 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 no. It's unconditional. That's what the, that's the description of God's love. We always get into trouble when we doubt God's love. And in Isaiah fifty-four ten, I love that verse that says, "My love for you will never end," says the Lord. That's exactly what it means in the Greek, or in, actually in the Hebrew. That's Old Testament. Actually, what it means. There's no difference. It's exactly what it says. My love will never end. My, will never, never end. So number two, that's the second thing that God, God's love, we have to understand. The third thing is this: I'm totally forgiven. I'm totally forgiven. Before God made you, he already knew all the things you were going to do, and he still made you. He still made us. And he still loves us. And he's never surprised by what we do. Doesn't have to like what we do, but he's never surprised by what we do. Romans 8 one says, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Our sins have been wiped out. He, he, he doesn't rehearse all the stuff in our past when we turn to him. He releases it. And so I'm totally forgiven. God, God has made us not, not simply so that we can you know, stay under his thumb all the time. He made us in such a way that he wants to understand it. I, have a, I love you, and I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to forgive you uh, totally. There is nothing about your past that cannot be forgiven. Number four, I'm considered, that's another part of this whole thing about understanding how much God loves us. I'm considered extremely valuable. I'm considered extremely valuable. Let me ask the question How much do you think you're worth? Now, I'm not talking about your net worth, okay? (laughs) Uh, I don't want to know that, okay? How much do you think you're worth? What makes something valuable? That's the question to ask. What makes something valuable? Well, two things make something valuable. Number one, in in a sense, the value of something depends upon who owns it, right? For instance, at auctions, if you were to go out and buy a car at an auction that was owned by Donald Trump or a car at an auction owned by Bill White, which one do you think would be more valuable just because of who owned it? Okay, now, I'm not talking politics here, okay? You you don't have to like him or not. I'm just saying, or a president, or somebody famous, you know, something, a toothbrush. I mean, who would want to buy my toothbrush? Nobody, you know, it's nasty, you know? But people have bought crazy things like that at auctions for ridiculous amounts of money because of who owned it, right? It gives value to it. The owner often adds value to common things. Who do you belong to? god so your value is pretty high because you belong to god number two the second thing about what causes you know what makes something valuable is this value depends on what someone is willing to pay for it right the funny thing about all of us if you've ever tried to sell a house or a car mostly a house all of us think our house is worth more than it's worth we all do We all start off with this ridiculous amount of money, but you know how how much a house is worth? It's what somebody's willing to pay for it. (laughs) And over the years, I've learned that the hard way. You know, I get all my expectations up here, and they come down to here, you know. That's how much a house is worth, what somebody's willing to pay for it, or anything. 1 Corinthians 7.23, you've been bought and paid for by Christ's death. How much is God will, was God willing to pay for you? He was willing to send his son to die for you. That's how valuable you are to him. So we have to remind ourselves, if we're going to live in God's love every day, we need to remind ourselves that we're extremely valuable to him. So how do I learn to live in God's love? Number one, I surrender my heart to God. Number two, I remember how much God loves me. And number three, the final point, Every day, offer that same love to others. See, God doesn't just give us love so we can store it up and keep it. He says to us clearly, he says here in John 13, 34, he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. In the same way that I have loved you. And remind you, this says a new what? suggestion no it's a new commandment he says a commandment is not a suggestion from god this is saying this is the rules he says when you come to me and you follow me i'm going to love you this way and what i want you to do is reuse that love and reciprocate that love to everyone out there in the world romans 15 7 says it this way accept one another just as christ accepted you so what does those two verses mean together? I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. What do these verses mean? that says this. I must, number one, accept others like Jesus accepts me. How does he accept me? Unconditionally. Totally. Number two, love others like Jesus loves me. Forgive others like Jesus forgives me. Value others like Jesus values me. Now, if you thought about that in regard to relationships, would that transform your relationships? If you lived out of that type of love in relationships, you better believe it. So, the best advice as we wrap this up is this. How, to make, how can you make people feel really loved? Then love like Jesus did. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, in God's Word translation, it says this. Love never stops being patient. Love never stops believing. Love never stops hoping. Love never gives up. That's how God loves you. And real love does those four things. And the four things is this. Love never stops being patient. Love extends grace. Love extends grace. Grace is is unmerited favor. It means that people don't have to earn it. You give it because God has loved you first. Love never stops believing. It expresses faith. It it never stops believing for the best in people, even when they let you down. Because God is all... how How many times this week have I let God down? A bunch. In my thought life, in not doing things I should be doing, but God never stopped loving me this week because of that. He never stopped believing in me. He, expre- he expresses faith and he wants me to do the same thing. Love never stops hoping. It always expects the best. And love never gives up. It endures the worst. Now, let me say it this way. Many of you today came here and you probably needed this message. You needed this word from God. I just simply just laid out what God has for you here and maybe god has spoken to you and and you know it so if you really want to transform your relationships that what i'm going to do is i'm going to pray and as i pray in your mind not out loud in your mind what i want you to do is i want, want you to i invite you to follow me in the prayer and just to agree this is what you want to do okay so let's pray bow your heads let's pray together this morning as we close our service and uh Just have a short video and a prayer and a a song, and then we'll go our ways. Just say this in your mind Dear God, I admit that I have made a mess in my relationships. They're complicated, they're broken, they're not the best. And I've often settled for less than the best, and they need a transformation. God, I'd like you to begin by changing me. Deliver me. From these three fears that I've learned about today, I can see how they make me distant and defensive and even demanding. So today and each day from now, I want to surrender my heart to you, and I'm doing this right now. I surrender my heart to you, God. I want to learn to live my life in your love, filled with your love. Please replace my shame with your love. When I'm afraid to let others see me, see the real me, remind me of how you see me. Thank you that you accept me completely. Thank you that you love me unconditionally. Thank you that you forgive me totally. Thank you that you paid such a high price to save me. Dear God, help me to accept others just as you've accepted me. Help me to love others unconditionally just as you have loved me. And help me to forgive others totally just as you've forgiven me. And help me to value others as much as you value me. Dear God, I want to be known as a loving person. So help me to extend grace to the people around me. And help me to express faith in the people around me. And help me to expect the best in the people around me. And help me to endure the worst when it happens. I want to live my life in love. And I humbly ask, Jesus, that you would guide me in that and that I would turn my life over to you fully every day. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.